Welcome to Docs in Orbit, a podcast for independent, international, nonfiction filmmakers. This is Christina Zacriotis. In today's episode, we're releasing a conversation recorded on Tuesday, November 14th at IDFA, where I met with Julian Ross and Farah Hasenbilovich to recap Corresponding Cinemas. Corresponding Cinemas was a new series at IDFA this year, and in many ways it was an experiment to see what invisible connections surface when an institution decides to transfer over its curatorial control to filmmakers. The idea is simple and compelling a series of films and conversations with filmmakers who've inspired one another. And the day would follow this chain of inspiration, with each filmmaker selecting the works of the next. The series was planned months in advance and formally announced in September in the very first announcement the festival made about its program. It reported that the event would kick off with Sky Hopinka and include Basmal Sharif, Jamana Mana, Ibrahim Shadad, and Abdurrahman Sasako. This program was going to be a big focus of our coverage of IDFA this year, and I spoke with the artistic director, Orwa Nirabia, on the podcast prior to the festival about this highly anticipated event. In this episode, Farah, Julian, and I first run through the events leading up to corresponding cinemas as we experience them on the ground, including the release of IDFA's apology statement, addressing a protest banner that appeared during the opening night ceremony, where in that statement, IDFA condemned the slogan, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, despite the recent ruling by the Dutch court that the slogan is not unlawful or considered hate speech. In response to IDFA's statement, Sky Hopinka, Basmal Sharif, and Jamana Mana published a joint statement the evening before corresponding cinemas was to take place. We then go through how the day unfolded detailing how each filmmaker used their screenings in different ways to transform a cinema space into a forum for urgent, meaningful, and needed exchanges. This conversation was recorded with the intention to capture the key moments of corresponding cinemas, while they're still fresh on our minds from the portions of the series we were each present in the room for. So, let's start with introductions. Sure. Hi, uh, my name is Farah Hasanbegovic. I'm a filmmaker and programmer from Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina. I work primarily in animated documentary and essay film focusing on childhood in periods of transition after war. Um, and so, yeah, where I'm coming from, I guess, um, in all of this and what's been happening is kind of as somebody that's, that's that was born out of and came out of a very recent genocide and aggression um, in a Bosnian context, and a European context. Hi, my name is Julian Ross. Uh, I'm an Amsterdam-based um, film programmer and uh, lecturer. Yeah, I work at various festivals, including uh, Doc Fortnite that's coming up, and also I'm an advisor, film program advisor at uh, IDFA for this edition. And I'm Christina from Docs in Orbit, Christina Zachariades, and we are at IDFA. And the reason why we've gathered here today is to recap Corresponding Cinemas. It was a very powerful program, and we felt that there was a, a, a need to, to capture 
some of the key moments from that day while it's still fresh in our minds. I guess what we'll start with is corresponding um, cinemas was very much impacted by the preceding events that unfolded from opening night and the ITFA statement that followed. Maybe Farah, would you feel comfortable kind of recapping the events of opening night? Sure, yeah. I think we were all kind of waiting to see how the opening of IDFA would unfold. And then about 45 minutes in, the Instagram profile Workers for Palestine, which is a community of cultural workers and artists and um, people interested in the arts in the Netherlands who've been kind of creating different actions in cultural institutions around the country and especially around Amsterdam lately, they posted a video of an intervention that had occurred where a group of what was then said was filmmakers, but then we now also know was uh, people who work at IDFA and people who were guests of IDFA unrolled a banner from uh, inside one of the higher seating areas and then also went out on stage holding a sign and then just kind of gave their own... um, uh, protest to the idea that at this point Itfa had still not released a statement regarding Palestine or Israel's current aggression. Um, there's a video that you guys can probably also see online mm-hmm. uh, where you can see uh, the people doing an intervention chanting, ceasefire now. At the beginning of the video, when they start chanting, you can hear people in the audience booing them. Mm-hmm. And then most importantly to, I think, what we're going to be addressing today, you can see that next to the three protesters who are holding a sign on stage is Arva Nadabia, who applauds them at one point. And this moment of applause is being interpreted in different ways um, by people around the festival. Yeah. And then at five o'clock the following day, so I don't even think it was 24 hours that had passed, Idfa had uh, released a statement, and we should read that. I can pull it up. Actually, do you want to read it? It's very long, though. Do you want Did me they to... release both of them at the same time? It was like one minute because apart. The... Oh, it was one minute yeah. apart. Yeah. Okay, so we are deeply thankful to the many friends and colleagues from the Jewish community in Amsterdam and internationally, from Israel, from Palestine and many other places for reaching out to Itfa over the past 24 hours following the surprise protest that took place on our opening night and the hurtful slogan written on a banner by the protesters, voicing their concerns, expressing the hurt they felt. Our mission is to create a safe and open space for civic debate, to exercise freedom and democracy, equity, and to present a complex view of the world and of the human condition. Our mission and our intentions are the opposite of hurting anybody or making them feel unsafe. That slogan does not represent us, and we do not endorse it in any way. We are truly sorry that it was hurtful to many. It was a difficult journey towards the opening night. Like every other cultural institution, ITFA is trying to be respectful and useful, and that is not easy within the current political climate. We sincerely opted for an approach that is open, that respects everybody, every pain, and provides a safe platform for all voices. It is a difficult and risky approach, and it does not make any side particularly happy with us. But we believe in this position being necessary, being the role and the true meaning of a documentary film festival. The past month was extreme, with news of death tolls filling the news and various forces pressuring for a clear-cut position that could lead to marginalizing the pain of the other. Our artistic director, Owan Narabi, has spoken and written about this choice of ours many times over the past month. 
also on stage at the opening night. It continues, uh, and this is a statement from Aura. During the opening night, I spoke on stage about this open position. I said that during such dark times, a festival is necessary, and a festival proves its worth by providing that missing safe space for everybody, for a serious and responsible civic debate through the art of film. I repeated that everybody is welcome here within the lines of respecting the other. As I was moving to the next part of the event, I heard chants from the balcony and the people took the stage. The slogan written on the banner held by the young protesters, which later was reported as very visible to the audience but not to me on stage, is a triggering statement and an offensive declaration for many, regardless of who carries it. It does not represent IDFA and was and will not be endorsed. I apologize for not paying attention to the banner in the moment. I clapped to welcome freedom of speech and not to welcome the slogan. I only learned about the slogan on the banner from the team as I went backstage when the opening film started." Um, end quote. And it continues, um, ITFA would like to clearly state that we understand that the slogan was hurtful and sincerely apologize for how this happened. There are many ways that people use or read the slogan and that various sides uh, use it in opposing ways, all of which we do not agree with, and we believe that the slogan should not be used in any way and by anybody anymore. ITFA does not endorse or agree with any of that. We do not endorse or accept justification for any violence, mass murder, collective punishment, dehumanization, oppression, militarization, injustice, or chauvinism, no matter from whom or against whom. We do not accept to see history with one eye or to simplify human tragedy or to generalize and judge any people by their worst. We stand by the ethics of valuing human life all and every human life. Um, this was published four days ago, and they followed it up um, immediately, like a minute later, with a statement. It for calls for an immediate ceasefire. Yeah, and so I think what's important to just highlight here, first of all, as far as I know, no other international film festival, let alone documentary film festival, has officially called for a ceasefire. Has there been one? Since the release of IDFA's statement, the Sarajevo Film Festival has issued a call for ceasefire. Okay. But at that moment, moment. it was the first major film festival um, to actually call for a ceasefire. So I think that context is important because the statement that preceded it was disturbing for a lot of people, where, just to repeat, there was this sentence in there there are many ways that people use or read this slogan and that various sides use it in opposing ways, all of which we do not agree with. And we believe that this slogan should not be used in any way and by anybody anymore. That is coming from IDFA. They don't say what the slogan is. So there was a lot that was needed to be addressed about the first statement um, and how how IDFA came to actually call for a ceasefire. And can I just say as an yes. advisor for the film program at IFA, I don't stand behind that statement that IFA made. I just want to clarify that because I was the one who read it and, you know, I introduced myself as uh, the film program advisor at IFA. Um, you know, I was not involved in the writing of this statement um, or its release and I don't stand behind it. Yeah. So um, 
This all happened the day before this series, Corresponding Cinemas, which I had Orwa on the podcast before IDFA, and we talked at length about Corresponding Cinemas, and it was going to be a big focus for Docs in Orbit's coverage this year. Um, and it included Sky Hopinka, Basmal Sharif, and then Jamana Mana, and each filmmaker had invited the next filmmaker. So it was anti-curatorial in this regard. But shortly after IDFA had released their statements, Basmal Sharif and Jamana Mana issued their own statement. Um, so this is a statement that was first published by Basmal Sharif, but it was a collect- it was not written only by her. And I will go ahead and read that. A damaging statement was published today by IDFA Festival. Rather than denouncing the genocide taking place right now in Gaza, the statement denounces a chant of solidarity that calls for the end of apartheid. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I, we, do not comply with the statement made by the festival. I, we, are here to make some clarifications and demands. From the river to the sea is the land of historic Palestine that stretches from the River Jordan to the Mediterranean Sea. From the river to the sea, Palestinians are subjugated to the conditions of occupation and apartheid. From the river to the sea, Palestinians should unite in their struggle for liberty, justice, and self-determination. From the river to the sea, we want Palestinians and Jews, foreign workers and refugees to be equal and free. No one is in no one is free until all of us are free. We demand immediate ceasefire, end of the apartheid, and the occupation. So uh, that's I think um, one, two, three, four, five times <laughs> that this uh, slogan that Idfa has said should not be said anywhere anytime. Um, was published by Basma al-Sharif and Jamana Mana, and Sky Hobika also circulated the night before the corresponding cinemas was about to begin. And the next morning, at 10 o'clock in the morning, at the new theater, the pavilion, what is it called again? Fondel um, Park Pavilion Work in Progress. Oh, under construction. It's construction. Uh, in a small, it was held in a small room, right? Like what, like 100 seats? 75, exactly. Uh, packed, uh, and Sky Hopinka showed up, and it began. Um, it began with a screening of Sky Hopinka's film... Malni Towards the Ocean, Towards the Shore. Uh, it was a film that Orwa selected to kick off the, the series. Um, and this is a film about the death myth of the Chinook people, the original inhabitants of the American Northwest. And yeah, and it was a really beautiful film. Uh, there was a lot of attention to detail of touch, of feet on the ground, of... Um, touching water, um, and there was a, a lot of exchanges that were in the Chinook native language. Even parts that were in English were subtitled in Chinook. So this acknowledgement of you know who his who Sky Hopinka is talking to 
in his films is recognized. It's like this is clearly a film for natives to see themselves and to to exist in cinema as they exist in real life. Um, and there was a Q&A afterwards as if normal. As I mean, that's how it felt. And just a couple of notes from that. Sky Hopinka talked about his influences. He talked about why he makes his films and for who he makes his films and uh, how he encountered Basmal Sharif's work, what he thought was special about it and why it, why he wanted to invite her on um, f- to continue the series. And yeah, and it was beautiful Q&A. Um, got to understand his work in a deeper level. Um, and then before, before the session ended, he said, I just would like to read out a statement. And he read out the, the statement that I had just read out before about the damaging statement was published by IDFA, da, 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 da. Yeah. And there was maybe 30 minutes before the next session started. I don't know. You weren't there for the, for... For Sky Hibinka's session, no. no. I, I was outside queuing in the last-minute admission line so that I could get access to Basma's screening because I, I couldn't get a ticket before, which is how I know exactly how many seats there are because I asked. <laughs> yeah, but that must have been special to, to see the end of that session. And and then you you came to Basma's. Yeah, um... We start a bit late, but uh, the audience piles in, it's packed, and Basma begins by saying that she will not be screening her work, and instead that there's going to be a conversation. She, she starts briefly by, by kind of explaining what her um, state of mind has been since October 7th, how she felt about potentially coming to this program and then maybe going through with it as planned, and then how this kind of changed uh, over time and how... At the moment when she arrives, she felt her need to be here could be executed in a different way. And then officially she uh, withdrew from, because she's also on the jury and she's also a part of this program. Um, she kind of said in as many words, I'm withdrawing my participation from IDFA in its entirety, I guess. Mm. Um and and Basma is from Gaza. We should also make that clear. She's she is a filmmaker from Gaza, and um, she was really open to us about the suffering that she had gone through. And she was it was really personal. Yeah, about five minutes in, uh, a person in the middle of a sentence that Basma was saying started shouting one thousand four hundred. The person did leave, not without making a lot of noise. Um, Basma was clearly shaken by what happened, and then there was also just this kind of, which I thought was interesting, is what she followed it with was, I feel bad that this person left, yeah, um, because it would have been, in her words, and also I think in, in, in the feeling of a lot of us that were in that room, it would have been, it was what went on to to be kind of be created in that space, was, a very unique pocket of reality where we got to be safe in cinema with all the horrors that have been in our heads for the past over a month. And maybe it was something that, as as Basma said, that, that this person might have also needed as well. And a lot of people on on all kinds of sides. So the the in the first eight minutes did not go without um, disturbance, I guess, which was which was also unusual and also a kind of maquette of, I guess, how everything has been unfolding in Idfa, of the statements and then the interruptions. 
there were a handful of people that that left, but there were many that stayed. They were even sitting on the on the stairs, like on the side. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was packed. Uh, and instead of it turning into a screening of work, it turned into this open forum of, I would say, collective processing of the statement of IDFA, how it impacted people. I, everybody was free to, to, to express their selves, their thoughts, their um, questions. And it was done in a very respectful manner. It lasted for two hours. I mean, this lasted for two hours. I think it was not scheduled for two hours, but it lasted for two hours. And early on, there was a dialogue around what does that slogan, from the river to the sea, mean? And several times throughout the conversation, Basma expressed that she wished that those people that had left hadn't, and that there could be a space that they that they could listen to each other. So I, yeah, so that was, it was a refrain. It, she, she kept saying that like several times, um, you know, they are in pain too. And um, it's important to be able to see beyond your own pain. You know, that that's like an important part of, of compassion and empathy and humanity. Um, there were a couple key moments for me Um there were also a few Dutch residents that identified themselves as supporters of IDFA for many, many years. They were confused about the statement. They felt that it was not too late for IDFA to address that they may have made a mistake by by alienating some voices by saying that that slogan should not be said by anybody anymore. And there was also a filmmaker there. I don't want to identify people that were in the room, but there there were many, actually, filmmakers from all over the world that were present in that room, one of which had questions about Basma's decision to not screen her films and what that means for being able to watch films and where, if we take them out of the conversation. And there was a moment where there was a Dutch student who said that they were studying decolonization of museums and culture practices and that they came to IDFA and really appreciated watching all of these films and engaging with conversations and the ideas and concepts and um, that, that IDFA presents and is a platform for, but felt completely lost by their statement. Um any other key moments for you? There was something that stood out, um, especially in, in context of, of, of what you just said, this urgent need arising for alternative spaces, let's say, in the face of all these institutions that, like a lot of people in the room said, that we feel betrayed by with what's happening. But this uh, this person was speaking up and she said that as a, as a Dutch resident and as somebody attending IDFA and, and going to a lot of these film institutions that are by and large government funded, that she was, as a European person, you know, and as a citizen, as an active citizen, that she's promised something by these spaces, that even though these spaces are government funded, that there's a, a certain amount of, or actually a significant amount of freedom, both of expression and also of honesty promised by these spaces. And that, you know, even though it would be great if, if we do create more alternative space and then we turn to the community more, um, that she would like to understand and that she would like to imagine and she would like to hope that an institution like IDFA 
still be able to be a safe place for people to say the things that they want to say. And I think that was a, an important moment for me because um, IDFA's statement, once again, as a government-funded institution, but also just as a, as a cinema space, comes um, days after one of the Dutch Court of Appeals um, ruled that specifically from the river to the sea is something that you're allowed to say at protests, on public, in media. This specific statement is something that has been legalized by Dutch courts and that, uh, that, that has kind of been liberated from constraints very recently. And so, so to, to have this statement, and I think also to, to think about what this, this person's intervention in this conversation, it, it, it does bring about this interesting thing of like, there are places in the world where uh, government funding implies a certain kind of freedom. And if we're losing that or if we're noticing moments where these things kind of falter, um, it's uh, it's it's it can become like to the filmmakers that were part of this program, and then beyond at IDFA, it can become a kind of special betrayal. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to switch to, I guess, the the third section, which we were all waiting to see what was going to happen next. Was it going to continue? Was Jamana even going to show her work? Right. So I wasn't present for uh, the first two sessions because I was moderating a talk with uh, another filmmaker elsewhere and so I arrived for what I thought would be a conversation between Basma al-Sharif and Jamana Mana but then I found out Basma is withdrawn from the festival so Sky Hopinka sat with Jamana Mana for the screening which was a 20-minute short film by Jamana Mana Bless Bless the Bilbilian from 2010 which I believe is her first film of course, the introduction wasn't just an introduction of the film, but also sharing with those who just arrived, like myself, uh, what had been taking place in that room over the afternoon. And Jumana shared that she had decided to show this film, at least in this screening, and have this opportunity be a continuation of this conversation around what's been going on already in this afternoon. And Sky, Jumana asked Sky to read the statement that they prepared once again. Um, which was, uh, if I release a damaging statement, um, that, that statement that they prepared. Well, I think what was important then was that Jumana clarified what from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, means, and that it is a slogan for solidarity with Palestine that has been used for decades and provided a broader context in which all these forms of resistance, including such a slogan, is being yeah, censored, silenced, um, I think it's important to also say that there were people, a couple of people who left the room when the statement was read out once again. I'm not sure if those were the same people who left last time and came back or not, but it was not okay. Were they the two people that were sitting right in front of us? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My feeling, I I also noticed that. My sense was that they, because they clapped when it was read out and then they left. Right. So I read it as... They came to support, and then they had something else to do, but it could have been just like, yeah, it could have also been... Right. I don't want to sit for this. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I wasn't so sure either. Um, for me, I mean, I think Germana's decision to screen the film was helpful for this conversation because it, after the film, at least, the conversation became about, you know, what what resist, form of resistance is left, what is a perfect form of resistance... Uh, resistance is often imperfect and but still um, necessary. 
uh, the film, I should say, is about masculine performativity in East Jerusalem. You see men in places like uh, weight rooms and hairdressers, right? And often using quite, uh, what's the word? Um, They're very crass. Yeah, crass. You know, it's, it's, bar- it's locker room barbershop talk. Exactly. A lot of them are petty criminals. Yes, um, and they're petty criminals. They're talking about stealing from, uh, gi- giving money back to the person or not. And uh, But it's a very um, warm film that, uh, you know, doesn't... Uh, for me, it reminded me of uh, Alice Diop's filmmaking, for example. This kind of approach to an embrace for somebody who you might not agree with in the totality, but you still want to have this conversation with and be there together. So the conversation became about like, um, yeah, imperfect masculinity and how the media portrays uh, particularly Arab men and the kind of obsession around women and children in, for example, this moment where Gaza has been bombarded and men in this kind of presentation would be treated as, as um, disposable than the women and children. So, yeah, th- this is where the conversation went. And, then, and almost like a correction of that sort of, yeah, yeah it was like, you know, that, that these bodies are also valuable. Yeah, and, I, and also important in this context that these men struggle to find a place for safe spaces to converse with each other because Israel is systematically making it difficult for gathering for people. Uh, so th- there's not many of these spaces that are left, basically. And uh, so these spaces, the weight rooms, the ha- hairdressers, also fulfill that function where like they can express themselves more freely than elsewhere, perhaps. Yeah. Mm. There was a bit, a bit of a debate. I remember also there was um, an older gentleman in the audience pushing, or not pushing, but he was conversing about other forms of resistance and um and there was a really rich exchange about nonviolent um methods the bds movement yeah yeah maybe um continuing on with this discussion which i think became the main discussion of the uh post-screening session after jimana's film which was this um imperfect resistance and there was a reminder by a member of the audience that uh, Rachel Corey, 20 years ago, staged a, a silent, peaceful, peaceful protest against uh, settlements. You know, she's a, a white American Christian uh, woman who uh, was bulldozed to, to death. So even what could be seen as, you know, a peaceful protest, even that didn't uh, bring about any response. So what can... Uh, um, so-called peaceful protest uh, bring about was was the question I think that was rightly brought to the front. What could a Palestinian do in protest that will bring about change? Um, it, 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 even if you dress this demonstration up in, from the Western eyes, a perfect uh, way, um, nothing changes. So, yeah, and that was 20 years ago, and here we are now. Mm-hmm. And this was really a conversation that, that could only, I think, in that moment be started by that film, because so mm-hmm. much of, of what the film profits off of and how it's set up is this contrast between these regular Palestinian men who live under oppression and create their own spaces of whatever kind of masculinity, and then this image, which has also, I think, been um, appropriated, I think, a, a lot in, in Western mindsets, but of, of what an ideal if an if a if a 
member of the resistance were to be allowed to exist in our heads, if we could envision them, what would they be? And they would either be a selfless martyr or this kind of, um, you know, this, this, this almost person from a poem, somebody from an epic, somebody very sacred and, uh, and, and out of all kinds of, of, of things that, that, that are bred by um, um, authoritarian regimes that push people into, um, into things that aren't seen as, as moral. Um, and so in that sense, it was really special to, to have this conversation and these um, reflections on resistance come out of a film that was, that was focusing on this. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think, it, I think um, the film, if it wasn't for the film, the conversation would have been something else. And I think the film uh, invited, uh, um, yeah, a different layer to this conversation that was already taking mm-hmm. place. Uh, yeah. Um, but I think because so much had been said earlier in the day, Jamana was in a better position to be able to screen a film than Basma was. Um, and and I also want to give an immense amount of credit to the labor of what it took for Jamana Manat to in so quickly summarize mm-hmm. what had happened in the two hours preceding her screening in a way that was incredibly eloquent, to the point, and very well composed. Yeah. I mean, you, you had not been to the... No, no, and I get, got a great impression of uh, what's been taking place and uh, maybe the temperature in the room around these um, conversations. Yeah, definitely. I also want to point out uh, that I thought Sky um, did a great job as well. Uh, he was, um, you know, there present. Um, he wasn't prepared to be the, mm-hmm. you know, part of this conversation around Bless Bless the Villian. He saw it for the first time in that moment, but um, it was actually his question around masculinity that uh, started this conversation around masculinity and perfect masculinity as well after the film. And I think he did um, an amazing job uh, standing there in solidarity, but not taking um, the space here, just uh, um, being present and that being important as well. So for me, that was great to to see um, and also yeah the whole event was um, a learning experience for me on, on different levels really yeah, yeah. it it was s- supportive right yeah. I mean it was it was like yeah nobody was prepared <laughs> this all took everybody I mean the, the, that's the thing is that 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 statement really derailed a lot of things like it it really shifted people were not prepared for um, for how to receive that and um, corresponding cinemas offered a space for processing it and then how people support one another in holding that space, you know, in like in physically, like what I think is fascinating is, uh, again, this is happening under the context of an anti-curatorial series in a building that has not even yet officially, that is still under construction, that is not yet officially open to the public. I mean, it's open to the public, but not like, it has not officially opened its doors. And there's something hopeful in the idea that this happened there and it will hopefully be part of its legacy. And it will hopefully be part of its foundation, you know? And that more conversations that are coming from the soul people were speaking from their heart they were 
unafraid to phrase things imperfectly because it was more important to be able to ask a question and be in conversation and dialogue than it was to feel wrong. And I think, I think we should recognize that um, if I, in writing the statement, also were in a very difficult position, we can say what we want about it, whether they should have made a statement before the festival, maybe at the opening, but uh, responding to what happened in the opening, I think they had, you know, 24 hours to do that. And it's an imperfect response. Um, and I think that should be recognized. And there's something difficult about statements, I think, because there's some, something final about it, right? It's written, it's declared. And I think, I'm not saying statements are important, but uh, for me, it was great to have an alternative to that in that space where it's, it's about dialogue, conversation, learning. Um, and it was, yeah, for me, the opposite of this kind of definitive kind of ending, this feeling of like a final statement, you know, when you write it and publish it like this. But if I did have to make that response and they had very, you know, limited time to um, put that together. And I think that that is also why it's kind of long and uh, uh, messy in many ways. And yeah, so it's great to have, like you said, the space for for conversation and discussion and dialogue, uh, which is important in these moments. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was also on the side of all of this conversation and the space that's been created by, by I guess now this this the second screening in a row um, which I think also made us it, it, it didn't make the people in the audience feel good necessarily but I think it definitely made made us feel less alone and there was this moment from a person in the audience who raised their hand and instead of offering a comment or a question read out a cry for help from one of their friends um, back home in Gaza who was stuck under a building with his family and uh, and this person just said you know like if you know somebody in the Red Cross or if you um, have anybody that could help I can you can I can share this post with you mm-hmm. this cry for help that had just arrived from somebody this message um, and I think it also, yeah, this this moment for me really added a layer of clarity of like what physically and in real time we're having a conversation about right now, you know, because I think we're we're talking about many different national identities under colonization and oppression. We're talking about Western responses to things, but we're also talking about real people who are currently being hunted and, and attacked and to, to have a kind of very present reminder of that also felt like it belonged in the space. I found that very, very mm-hmm. impactful. So, uh, so the Jamana session ended there was about an hour long break and it was um, the next screening was going to be held at 5.30 p.m. By then it was a smaller audience and it was set to Jamana Mana inviting Ibrahim Shadad, who is a Sudanese filmmaker. And she had selected two films of his, A Camel and Hunting Party. A Camel is a short film uh, and Hunting Party is about a 40 long minute film that was actually his graduation project. Uh, unfortunately, due to some visa issues, Shadad was not able to make it to 
the festival. But she introduced the film. She said a few words about Ibrahim Shadat and about these two films that she wanted to show. She also said that she wished that he was able to be there because she was looking forward to asking him questions about his work, um, particularly about his work and how it was censored for many, many years and how there's a lot of missing films. Um, and then we started screening the films and I'm not overstating. I mean, it is, it was incredible to see these two films after such a day and in the company with Jemana. It wasn't like she introduced the film and left. She sat and watched these films with us. And what was striking about these two films in the way that they met the moment was that both of them are black and white, very little dialogue, very, very, very little dialogue, but very much related to violence, but done in a, done in a really, um, I don't know. I received the film. I received the films quite differently. I think in that moment than I would have in any other moment. There was also this like spinning nature that somebody had pointed out to me afterwards and I didn't even realize because I think that at that moment I was kind of spinning and in, in some way um, the first film, A Camel, has it, like has these spinning um, emotions and camera angles but it felt maybe like I was in pace with it so I kind of felt like I was still. Um, it was also interesting that we started the day with Sky Hopinka talking about Westerns and the image of Native Americans in John Wayne films. And for me, the day ended with Shaddad's seminal film, The Hunting Party, which in its description is labeled as a Western-inspired treatise on racism, portraying a white mob hunting a black farm worker in a settlement. And it does have this sort of, I, I even, when I was talking about it yesterday to another, to another friend, I was like, yeah, I, I think it was made in the eighties. And I, actually it was made in 1964. And there is this timelessness to it. The fact that it's in black and white. Yeah. I just thought that that timeless aspect is still relevant today. It's still very much in dialogue with what's happening today in Palestine and Gaza. And that was the end of, of corresponding cinemas for me. But um, the last screening was Ibrahim Shaddad in conversation with Sasako, which I'm not sure actually happened. I don't, I, I, the screening may have happened, but I don't know if the filmmaker was actually present for that. Since then, there was a lot of other events that happened. So maybe we just should quickly recap. A lot of filmmakers have uh, pulled their films. Actually, before even, right? Because the first Miko, filmmaker. Yeah, Miko Evereza, um, well, hadn't, hadn't sent the DCP yet and said he would like to hear a statement from ITFA. And after the, the two statements ITFA made, Miko Evereza pulled his film out of the uh, Paradox uh, section. And after corresponding cinemas, Jumana Mana and Sky Hopinka have since uh, withdrawn their films for the screenings later in the festival. Mariam Tafakori and Joshua Gansalant has also done the same. Um, Charlie Shackleton 
uh, with Drew's film, which was a world premiere. And I think he also had an installation in uh, the Doc Lab. Kaori Oda, uh, a filmmaker from Japan, in their vision competition. And the Terra Along, uh, also with Drew's film. There's a short a film in the short documentary competition also that's pulled their film. Um, and, and Slovenian author uh, Nika Autor also uh, pulled out her remaining screenings. Her first film was screened before all of this happened, I think, on the on the first day of IDFAP. And then also one of the big installations uh, from the Doc Lab, Phenomenal Friction or Sensory Friction, programs pulled out uh, Shadow Time mm-hmm. by Denis Tortum. And what, what is their thing called? The Institute of Time. Institute of Time, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I think we should add that the Palestine Film Institute, in their response to this, uh, encouraged different types of displays of solidarity from withdrawing the film to utilizing Q&As and talks, like in the way we're discussing, and direct communication with ITFA around this topic. And I I think that call has been answered by many filmmakers in, in the program. And there's also a number of projects in the industry side that have also pulled out. Yeah, and in general, it's just been kind of a, I guess, in, in the same way that the the corresponding cinemas thing is a kind of anti-curatorial effort that also, in context of, of what then actually happened there, um, became a series of things that were these filmmakers opening spaces for each other. I think um, from the first person, um, Miko, who, who kind of um, decided to intervene in his um, participation in IDVA, um, filmmakers and also production companies and also um, people in the industry and the, the the exhibition part of ITFA and ITFA on stage as well have kind of opened spaces for each other, which I think was very interesting to see. Um, yeah, so let's get into that too, because I think that's also something that can easily get lost in, in all of this is that, just as Vara said, like every single day of the festival, there have been spaces where people together have congregated and um, talked openly about this. In addition to people withdrawing their film, there are some filmmakers that have continued to show and screen their film, but have been making statements either before their film screening or after their film screening. And it's also important to say that the statements that they are reading do contain the slogan um, from the river to the sea. And, None of them have been ushered off of stage. None of them have been denied screening their films. Nobody has been excluded by the IDFA institution that I know of from participating in the festival for their expression of solidarity with Palestine or of solidarity with their way of calling for liberation. And I must also add audiences, at least for the screenings I've been, uh, for the most part, have been, yeah, not booing like uh, what, what took place in the opening, but applauding and uh, solidarity as well. So I'm not sure that's everybody's experience. Yeah. And uh, yeah, later at the I Film Museum's biggest theatre, Cinema One, there was a screening of Orlando, My Political Biography by Paul B. Bichardo. And the screening began with like a 20-minute introduction around what's been taking place at IDFA. There was somebody from the Workers for Palestine that also gave a speech. And after the screening, it was supposed to be a screening and a talk. Of course, they discussed the film, but always in relation to what's going on in Gaza. 
And um, the event ended with the song that uh, queer choir Amsterdam had written for the queer and contagious session that had taken place, I think, earlier in the day, where there were a number of other withdrawals and shows of solidarity uh, with Palestine. And they were saying basically that there is no freedom for queer people without the freedom of Palestine. And this chant went um, along the lines of, we breathe together, we breathe together, we breathe together, and the occupation. And the uh, people started leaving the theater um, singing uh, this chant. Yeah. So I don't know how many, it's countless times that this, uh, that this has been um, said. In various forms and invoked and... And, and, and like you keep saying, which is important to say, without repercussions from the festival, which I guess to the best of its ability, or is making true on, on this kind of assertion that they are not here to physically censor anybody or to stop people from, from speaking their truth in their mind. Um, um, and just to quote Orwa, before any of the festival started, what he said about the role film festivals play And he said, IDFA gives space for serious, reasonable, and in-depth debate. And I think that uh, that I've never experienced being in a festival where that was so much on display. I think that they really, in an unexpected way, delivered, um, delivered on that. Yeah, I think when I read that for the first time, it made me very angry because at this moment there was it was in the midst of this great silence from all the, the big film, film festivals of Europe and the European Film Academy. And I did not want to give agency of, over this kind of space-making to an institution, even though I, I understand that these places do offer space for dialogue and conversation. But I was very warmed, and I'll continue, I guess, throughout the remaining days of IDFA to be warmed by the fact that it might be the place um, that can make the statements, that can offer the, the physical locations, that can screen the films and put up the screens and set up the projectors, but it's the, it's the people that set the tone. And I think yeah, through, through the conversation that we have had so far and this, this kind of recollection of the things that we've been through so far, um, we can kind of see what the tone of the people is and what the spirit of the people is. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that there will be more that unfolds, but I, this is like midway through and not even a complete full report because it's just from our, you know, our navigating of the festival in our own, in our own ways. So. Yeah, that's why I wanted to be here because um, I can, <laughs> people are seeing uh, this event uh, unfold from all these different angles from social media here in Amsterdam, outside of Amsterdam. So just for me also to get an understanding of what's happening to have this conversation with you, but also try and help uh, others navigate what's been going on and what's being said and done. IDFA issued a third statement on November 12th, reiterating that IDFA remains an open and inclusive space and repeating calls for an immediate ceasefire. This episode was produced by Christina Zachariades in Brooklyn. With music by Naeem Mahboub in Stockholm. Thanks for listening. If you like what you just heard, please be sure to subscribe to get future episodes and rate and review so that more documentary film lovers can find us. <laughs>